Welcome, everyone. So good to have all of you with us, all of our churches, Blountstown, Chipley, and Mariana. As you can tell, we have a intense day planned for you today. Uh, we're beginning a brand new sermon series entitled The War Around Us, and I'm so excited for you for the next two weeks because our friend Gavin Adams is going to be sharing this series with us. It's a two-part series, and you need to be ready for the ride because it is absolutely amazing. But two things before we jump into today's talk. Every fourth Sunday of the month, we give you the opportunity to go above and beyond when it comes to generosity. So this is above and beyond our normal generosity. And we do this to show our communities how much God is for them by the way that we are for them. We call this our $4 for others. So here's where your $4 is going to go this month. We're going to be giving to help fund scholarships for students to go to camp this summer. Now, last year, you helped 149 students attend camp. 29 of those students were baptized. So I just want you to know your investment in the next generation makes a huge difference because everything you give in the general fund and then when you do things like this for the next gen uh, several times a year, it makes an incredible difference. Right now, we're averaging about 311 to 315 uh, children every Sunday morning at all of our campuses. We have about 240, I think it is, students um, every week at all of our campuses. Absolutely amazing the difference that you should be making. Somebody said, well, that's over 500 students and, and children. I'm like, and they're like, you should start a school. I'm like, well, we do every Sunday. They used to call it Sunday school, but we don't call it that anymore, right? Anyhow, it's a lot more fun than that. So here's the thing. You're making a huge difference. We thank you for that. Now, how do you give? Well, when you came in today, there was an envelope that looked something like this on your seat on your chair, uh, you can take the money and you can drop it in the uh, envelope and you can put it in the giving boxes on your way out, out of your auditorium along with any other giving that you may have. Or you can scan the QR code here on this envelope and it'll take you to the RCC app and you can give there. So let me just go ahead and say thank you so much for doing that. You can go ahead and do that right now. Um, what you do around here to be generous is absolutely amazing. And if you're curious how you can be involved um, in giving generously here, make sure you stop by the gallery on your way out today. Any of our campus, our team will be glad to show you how that you can automate your giving because we always tend to automate what is important, right? And, and a priority for us. So, hey, thank you so much for those of you who are very generous here at RCC. Now, one other thing make sure that you mark your calendar for something in March. Because in March, we have a great opportunity for you to take a next step to cultivate community and to develop depth spiritually. It is what we call our short-term group. So starting March the 5th, we're going to begin three-week short-term groups. We have three-week short-term groups, opportunities for couples, for women, for men, and then for 20-somethings. And this 20-something is going to be a four-week instead of a three-week. And if you're in your 20, in your 20 age range, you want to make sure that you are part if money talk um, small group that we're going to be doing because it's going to lay a great financial foundation for you. So it's going to be happening on the 5th of March, the 12th of March, and the 19th of March at all of our campuses at 630. So you can stop by the gallery if you have any questions there, or you can go to our app and you can automatically sign up. So if you're not part of a small group, it is a great opportunity for you to take a next step spiritually. Now, all of our campuses, I want you to welcome Gavin as he comes to kick off this brand new two-part series called The War Around Us. Everybody, give it up for Gavin Adams. Love you, bud. All right. Hey, I apologize in advance. You had me for two weeks in a row, so sorry about that. 
Um, blame Paul. Uh, I am glad though we're talking about this idea. To get us started, I would love to just share a story with you uh, from the Gospel of Mark. You may know this. Mark is one of the people who wrote one of the four documents that talk about the life of Jesus. He's Scholars think he wrote the very first one, and other people kind of borrowed some from what he said. So here's a story that Mark wrote about. However, this story is also in two of the other Gospels, Matthew and Luke. I'm going to just walk you through Mark's version. You ready? Here we go. Here's how it starts. They went across, this is Jesus and his disciples, okay? They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. Now, Quick pause, impure spirit is translated in some of these other gospel accounts to be a demonic spirit or a man who was possessed. So there was a guy, uh, one of the gospels talks about that he was naked, which is even scarier. Um, He lived in the tombs. He was really angry. No one uh, could get anywhere near the tombs. He's beating people up in the nude. Again, super scary, right? It's, It's an incredible scene that's happening, right? So Mark tells us more. He says that that this man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Some of you have uh, an annoying neighbor whose dog is barking all night. That's nothing, okay? This is a crazy naked man who can't be chained. He's so possessed. He's cutting himself. He's screaming all day, all night, beating up people who come by. I mean, it's quite a scene, right? It's quite a scene. Okay, the story continues. Uh, When he saw Jesus, so the the possessed man sees Jesus because Jesus and his disciples have arrived on the other side of the lake, right? They've they've arrived over here. When, When he sees Jesus from a distance, he ran, but instead of running to fight him, He runs at Jesus, and he fell on his knees in front of him. And he shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? No one else had said this before. Uh, Normal people see Jesus, and they go, Oh, he's the guy we invite to the parties because of the water and the wine thing. Remember that? Or, oh, he's the rabbi. Didn't go to school like everybody else. He's a carpenter, but he's really wise. You know, I mean, no one called him the son of God, he wasn't known as a Messiah quite yet. Peter, who's one of the first people to ever claim it, didn't even say it yet. But this man, or whatever is in this man, knows exactly who he is. In God's name, he says, don't torture me. In some of the other translations, it says, uh, or, or other gospels, uh, in God's name, do not throw us into the abyss, is what it says. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. And then Jesus asks him, what is your name? What is your name? And the man responds, my name is Legion, he said, for we are many. This word legion doesn't mean a lot to us today, right? But a legion was a term, it was a military term, specifically that was used in Rome. Um, it, it accounted for somewhere between 4,000 and 6,000 soldiers. So when he said, we are legion, he was basically saying there are about 4,000 to 6,000 of us inside this man. It's pretty significant, right? And then he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area or not to send them into 
the abyss. Now, it just so happened that a large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons, four to 6,000 of them, by the way, begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. So Jesus decides, he gives them permission, and he and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank and into the lake and were drowned. Okay, picture all this, okay? Okay, the, those that were uh, attending to the pigs, they ran off, of course they did, and they reported this to the town and the countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened, right? Like, you heard that what had happened was? Like, they're like, I gotta tell you, like, you're gonna, it's gonna be tough to believe there's the bloated, floating dead pigs in the water. We didn't do it, he did it, you know? He, and, and it was weird, but the things just ran off, you know? Well, of course, this terrifies everybody, right? So when they came to Jesus, when they came to Jesus, they, they saw the man who had been possessed, past tense, right? The man who was terrifying everybody, who's beating up everybody, who can't be chained, he's breaking stuff. I mean, he's superhuman, right? And they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed, praise God, finally, right? Dressed and in his right mind, they were afraid. They were more afraid of him dressed than they were before. You know? I mean, they're terrified, right? And those who had, uh, had seen it, who saw everything that happened, told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man. And, and they told about the pigs as well. Uh, then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. The end. That's the story. I mean, how many of you have seen The Exorcist before? You don't have to raise your hand. I know most of you have. Um, you're like, I'm in church. Can I say that? Yeah, whatever. God knows. All right, you, you've seen it. Um, uh, the Exorcist is uh, apparently a true-ish story. Now, it has been crazy Hollywoodized, right? Um, I, I, I actually listened to a podcast about it one day, um, which, by the way, there are lots of demon podcasts you can listen to. Not like made by demons, but like they talk about demons, or maybe they were, I don't know. Um, I don't know how you make podcasts, so maybe they were. Um, so the, the, the exorcist guy was talking to the father who knew all about it, and um, this happened sometime, I wanna say in like around 1950 or so. Um, it, it, was a, it was a boy, it wasn't a, a girl. Um, and, and of course, you know, we made a movie out of it, so we made the head spin, maybe you remember that, and green projectile vomiting all over the place. That didn't happen apparently in the real thing. Uh, but according to the priest, there was something serious going on with this young man, and they had an exorcism, and, you know, things were fine. Uh, uh, maybe, maybe that is true, or maybe it's not nearly as true as the movie made it out to be. Again, I wasn't there. I don't really know. Um, I do know that Hollywood is fascinated by these stories. I mean, the number of stories around demonic possession and all these things, I mean, they're everywhere, you know? Um, the Conjuring, that's a really terrifying one. Um, there's a bunch of these. Again, I mentioned podcasts. When I was looking to learn more about just the uh, reality of the exorcist, I found lots of podcast options. I could learn about demons and exorcisms and all sorts of crazy stuff. I mean, we really have kind of, in a way, turned it into like a, 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 like a money-making thing. It's like we talk about it all the time, um, I grew up in the church, some of you did too. Uh, I grew up hearing this story. I, I, they probably told me in preschool, which is really dumb, but I did hear it, you know, a lot growing up. And I gotta tell you, every time we talked about these kinds of stories, we would read the story and we would go, huh, wow, 
And then we would kind of walk away and go, man, cool story, man. That was really cool. Oh, what else did Jesus do? But I, let's just for a second, you know, I'm not sure about the Exorcist movie. I'm not sure about all the podcasts. I don't know. But I mean, this is in the Bible and it's in three accounts of the life of Jesus that this actually happened. If it's a real story, if this really happened, it's not really a cool story. It's really more like hell on earth story. Like this sounds more like hell on earth than just a cool story, doesn't it? You know, in the book of Mark alone, there are four accounts of Jesus ridding people of demonic spirits, four of them. There, there's the man with the unclean spirit. There's Jesus heals the garrison demoniac. That's what we just read. Um, there's this Cypher-Phoenician uh, woman's faith. There's a story about her. And then the healing of a boy with a mute spirit. All four of those are just in the Gospel of Mark. But if you open up and read all four Gospels, you see all sorts of stories of Jesus doing this. Like when we think about what Jesus did when he was here, we focus on some of the more important things like the cross and the resurrection, uh, the water into wine again, super fun story. But about 25%, I don't know if you know this, but roughly 25% of Jesus's ministry revolved around deliverance and demonic oppression. About 25% of what he dealt with was of this weird, demonic something world. I mean, you know, thank goodness we don't have to deal with any of that anymore, right? Or, or, or do we, you know? I mean, I, I, don't, I don't mean to bring all this up to like, I'm not gonna try to scare any of you today, although it is a little terrifying. And my goal isn't to like to freak you out, but my goal is also not to allow it to just be silly or allow it to be, you know, like a Hollywood story. I don't want it to feel like that, you know? Like normally when we say like, oh yeah, I've heard about demonic possession before. Like some of you as parents would say, yeah, I mean, I know I'm pretty sure my kids were teenagers. They were possessed by 4,000 demons, you know? I mean, we treat it like that, don't we? And maybe that was true for your child. I don't know. I tend to thought it was for mine occasionally too. I don't know, right? But there seems to be something more serious about this. Again, if Jesus, about 25% of his uh, work was around this stuff, if, if all of that was really true, maybe, maybe there is more to our world than what we actually see on the surface. Like maybe there's a little more going on than we recognize. Maybe there's more happening than we know about. Jesus clearly thought there was more going on, but all of the authors of scripture, when you read through, thought there was more going on. That there was this physical world happening, but there was also in the midst of the physical world, a spiritual world that was highly active, where lots of things were going on. Yet we kind of ignore that, right? We don't talk about it a lot. I mean, we talk about God a lot. We talk about angels a little bit, but we really don't talk about Satan. We don't talk about demons. We don't really delve into any of that. In fact, it seems like it's two extremes. We either don't talk about it at all, or you go to that church where it's all they talk about. You know, like, like I mean, Satan's behind, behind every tree. He was behind every bush, right? Every time somebody does something wrong at the four-way stop, Satan, you know, like, you got that version. That's probably extreme. That's probably not real. But to ignore all of it and pretend that there isn't a spiritual something is probably equally dangerous, right? Peter, who was one of the, um, he's my favorite of the disciples because he just, he's like ready, you know, act, think. That's kind of how he is. Um, I, I love this guy, Peter. Um, he wrote a letter, a couple of documents that are in our New Testament. Here's what he had to say uh, about Satan. He said that we should be alert and of sober 
mind. That word sober is important, right? Um, you, hopefully none of you know what it means to not be sober, right? But you've seen non-sober people, right? You know, they're not thinking, they're not really paying attention to what's happening around them, right? Peter says that we should be really alert and we should be of sober mind, paying attention, aware of our surroundings. Your enemy, he says, the devil, not just some random enemy, not just some like, oh, I feel bad today, like a legitimate enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. That's how he saw it. Um, I, I don't know if you've ever seen a lion before. Um, I was very lucky a decade or so ago, I uh, went on a mission trip to Kenya, and so we got to do like a bunch of cool stuff in Kenya, but then we also got to do a safari. And, you know, we were so excited about the safari. I don't know if you've ever been on a safari. Um, gosh, it was so fun. Um, they put you in these uh, vans with these big open, you know, windows in them. And the first question you ask is, what size animal cannot get through this window? That's your first question. And so you're driving through the safari, and it, I mean, immediately when you get out there, it's just mesmerizing. I mean, there are animals that you have never seen in the wild everywhere. Zebras, giraffes, I mean, uh, a water buffalo. I mean, I saw so many water buffalo. We were like, I don't, no more water buffalo. Like, tired of the water buffalo. What we really wanted to see was what? A lion. We wanted to see a lion in the wild, you know? And so when we were driving that whole day, like we're searching for him and searching and searching and all the other vans are radioing to each other, but we couldn't find any lions that day. So the next day we were like, well, we got to go back. And so we, we didn't really have a lot of time. We had a flight later that day, but we're like, let's go early in the morning. It's near the airport. And so we went on our second safari and we told the driver, we don't care about water buffalo. We don't care about the zebras. Enough with the zebras. Like we want to see a lion. Of course, we saw a thousand more water buffalo. They're everywhere, you know? And by the way, we would drive by and they would be from me to the edge of the stage. Like, I mean, you could almost pet them. I wouldn't recommend it, but they were really close, you know? And it didn't phase you, you know? And eventually, we got a call that they had spotted some lions and so we, you know, drove our thing over there and sure enough, man, coming down the road was a pride of lions. And I'm telling you, man, like, to see those animals in the wild I mean, we were all asking to roll the windows up. I mean, to see them walking down. I can't even describe the size, the power. I mean, their paws alone were bigger than my head. So strong, so powerful. Listen, this is what Peter has in mind. Peter is talking about the devil, and he's saying he's like a, a lion prowling around at night looking for somebody that he can devour looking for someone who isn't alert, who isn't paying attention. I mean, Jesus obviously thought that Satan was real. Peter certainly thought he was real. The other authors of scripture thought that he was real. So, I mean, we could, I guess, assume that it's all Hollywood or we can assume there might be more to this world than we actually think about, more to the world than we actually pay attention to. John, he's one of the uh, disciples. He believed that Satan was real. In the book of Revelation, he actually talks about where Satan came from and how all of this originated. You may have heard this before, but I think it's important to think about this. Here, here's what John writes. He says, then a war broke out in heaven. Michael, you may have heard of Michael, the archangel Michael. He's kind of a big deal in the angelic realm. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, which is the devil, Satan. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. 
The reason that they were battling is because this dragon, Satan, decided that he wanted to be God. He wanted to overthrow heaven. In pride, he wanted to be God. Well, of course, he didn't have what it took to do that. He's not God. He's not strong enough. He loses this battle to Michael and Michael's army of angels. So because he lost, there was a consequence of his behavior. The great dragon was hurled down. The ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. Really important. He was hurled to earth and his angels with him. Now, this was a long time ago, but he's still here. It's just the reality of it. It happened a long time ago, but in the same way that God is still here and angels are still here, in the spiritual realm, Satan is still here. And the angels that were on his side, we call those demons, they're still here. And they have a name. They're here for a reason. They're here for a purpose because there's something happening around us. And Satan's aim is very clear. It's the same aim he kind of had in heaven, to lead people astray. He led his army of angels astray to fight against God and Michael. He, he now wants to lead you astray. This is his number one goal. His number one aim is to take you, to move you, to lie to you, to help you believe or cause you to think incorrectly. This is what he's trying to do, is just to lead you astray. I mean, Satan and his forces, we could say, like, they have a plan. And their plan is to terrorize your soul. They have a plan to, to render you impotent as a believer. They have a plan to, um, maybe we'd say, make you kind of worthless in the cause of Christ, in the area of the kingdom, um, really to kind of make your life hell on earth is their plan. We, when we think about this dragon, Satan, we can um, really learn a lot about his tactics or how he goes about this in the names that he's given in scripture. You've probably noticed like uh, in scripture, God and, or Jesus, they're given many different names, right? Healer, protector, all these things, you know? Well, it's the same with Satan. Satan's given all sorts of names that really give us a clue into how he tries to work in our hearts and in our minds, in our lives. Here are some of the names. Um, things like the evil one, which sounds pretty obvious, but the enemy, I don't know if you've ever really thought that you have an actual enemy, but you do. There is an enemy that's fighting against you. A murderer, he's called. The father of lies. The opposer, the slanderer, the adversary, Lucifer, Beelzebub, the tempter, the prince of this world. You know, Satan's number one tactic is lies and deception. That's why he's called the father of lies. His number one aim is to lead us astray by twisting the truth, by lying to you, by deceiving you, which means that we're really at war because there is an enemy. There is an invisible war happening around us and we are playing a role in it. But here's the scariest part, I think, is that if you were in an actual physical fight with another human, right? I hope this doesn't happen to you, but if you were in an actual physical fight, you would see the person, you would see the punches, you would know how to respond, how to duck, how to counter, but it's this kind of enemy that's so much more difficult to fight. And you know why? It's because the scariest enemies, they're the ones that you can't see, who use tactics or strategies that you do not recognize. That's why Satan is so difficult as an enemy. He's not coming at you in a way that's obvious. 
He's not coming at you saying, hey, my name is Satan. I would like to fight with you. You know, this is not how it works. He comes at you with tactics that are deceptive. You don't even know that it's happening. You don't even know that you're engaged in the war. And I'll just tell you, Satan wants nothing more than to deceive you. He wants nothing more than to lie to you, to trick you, to tempt you. This is number one aim along with all the minions that are serving him. Which kind of begs the question, like, what do we do about that? Well, one option is we just go, whew, ignore it. And that is what most of us do. We just live our life oblivious to this war. We just live our life as if nothing's really happening. But that is a dangerous way to go. It is a dangerous way to live because there is something happening. At least Jesus thought there was. So did the Apostle Paul, so did Peter, so did John. Every biblical author thought there was more to this world than what we see. So what should we do? What should we do about this? If we want to believe that there's something happening, that it's actually true, it's valid, what what should we do? And the first thing, we're going to talk a lot about this today. Here's the first thing we have to do. We have to acknowledge that we really are at war. We have to actually acknowledge that there is a spiritual war and that we are a part of it. Now, listen, you, you might think, well, I'm not really a part of it. I mean, I, you know, I'm not a pastor. Maybe you are a part. I don't know, you know. But we're all involved in this. We are all involved in the war, whether you know it or not, which is why it's so much more scary than any other kind of war. I mean, think about this. Jesus said that you were at war. Jesus said it this way. He said, whoever is not with me is against me. It's another way of saying that there are two sides in this whole conversation. Really, there are two sides that are battling. There's a battle between God and angels and believers. And on the other side of the war is Satan and demons and non-believers. Now, just, just for a second, this non-believer thing can be a little bit challenging because, you know, it could be that you would say, oh, so we should be punching non-believers in the throat? No, okay? It's not what this means. The reason that non-believers are a part of the war is because Satan can whisper in their ear and they don't even know it. It's like they're pawns in a war that they don't even know they're playing. They're being used, they're being abused to try to move the kingdom of God backwards and they don't even know. They're not even doing it on purpose. They're not like trying to thwart the ways of God. They just don't care. They just don't know. In fact, in this war, one of our number one aims should be to help those individuals move to our side, to love them into it, not fight them into it to embrace them into this, not argue them in. Nobody's ever been argued into faith, right? Certainly not fought into faith. So it's really the reality is that there are two sides. And if you are a follower of Jesus, if you placed your faith in Jesus, you're on God's side and you're fighting in the war whether you realize it or not. It's happening in you. It's happening around you. It's happening all the time, even if you can't see it even if you're oblivious to it, even if you want to pretend that it isn't real. It's real, and it's happening, and it's affecting you. The Apostle Paul, man, he really knew a lot about this. Imagine the war of the spiritual wars that he was facing. I mean, when you kind of go from being a, a, a Christian murderer to a missionary, it's a pretty big target. He experienced unbelievable spiritual warfare, and he knew it. He called it that. He taught a lot about it. He wrote a lot about it. 
in, in a letter he wrote to the Corinthians, the second letter that we have uh, in our New Testament. Here's what he said about it. It's so interesting. He said, though we live in the world as humans, we live in this world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Divine power. These are divine weapons that we're fighting with. He says, we demolish every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. This, this whole little part is so important for us to understand when it comes to this war around us. Because this war is really being fought between our ears. This war is really happening in our minds. The war that Satan is waging on us, on you, on me, on the church, against God and God's people, it's a war of our minds, really. It's a, a war in our belief systems, our worldviews. That's really where the enemy is aiming. It's where the enemy is trying to infiltrate you through your, through your head, through your mind, through your beliefs. That's where the war is happening, and it's a spiritual war. And here's the reality. Again, like, we can't win if we don't recognize that we're in a fight. We can't, we can't win if we don't recognize that there really is an enemy. We, we, can't, we can't win unless we understand his tactics. So here's what I wanna do today. Next week, just quick preview, next week we're gonna talk about how to fight. But this week, I just want us to focus on the reality of the fight. What's actually happening around us. And this might explain some stuff that you've experienced. It may explain some things you're experiencing today. I don't know. There, there are five truths about this war that I think we have to take into account, right? Five truths. Here's the first one. That there is an invisible world. And the reason we can ignore it is because it is invisible. But it doesn't mean it isn't there. Just because it's invisible doesn't mean it isn't happening. There is an invisible world. And in that invisible world, number two, we are involved in an invisible war. Again, whether you know it or not, you are involved. You are participating. You may be an active participant. You may be an innocent bystander. Either way, you are involved because Satan is prowling around like a lion looking to devour somebody who isn't alert, who isn't paying attention. I mean, think about this for a second. When is the last time, when is the last time you honestly kind of considered where some of your struggles were coming from? But when is the last time you really paused and thought, I wonder where this relational conflict is coming from? And you probably thought, well, her, that's where it's coming from, him, my boss, that's where it's coming from. But maybe, or maybe not. Maybe there's something bigger going on. You know, all the temptations that you face, they're not random. Jesus was tempted directly by Satan, specifically in ways that Satan thought he could tempt Jesus. He is smart. He's not dumb. Your temptations are not from God. They're from Satan. And they're uniquely crafted for you because he's like a lion prowling around. I mean, think about it. The lies that we hear the conflicts that we have with others, the cravings that consume us, they're all just part of a plan to make us, to make you a casualty of this invisible war. All of that is coming from the enemy. It's not of God. 
In fact, if you're not sure all of this exists, that should convince you. Because we know God is good and he loves you. So where are all these other things coming from? Well, maybe from the enemy. Maybe that's where. Here, here's the third truth, is that our foe is formidable. Very formidable. Our foe is so formidable that he thought he could overthrow God. Now, I know some of you are like think a lot of yourself, but none of you think that much of yourselves. None of you are that powerful to convince all sorts of angels to follow you in the fight against God. That's who we're talking about. This is not some weak-willed enemy. This is a strong, powerful, angelic-oriented enemy. He's very powerful, and he knows so much about this world. He knows how to whisper to you. He knows how to deceive. He's the master of it. Listen, though, while, while Satan can't devour a saved soul, he can certainly make life hell on earth for you. I mean, I hope you know this. The, the minute that you placed your faith in Jesus, you were adopted into the family of God, fully forgiven, unconditionally loved, unconditionally accepted. You were made new in Christ. Nothing can ever take that away from you. But it doesn't mean life can't be hell on earth while you're here. Why? Because Satan is looking to devour. And he may not be able to snatch you, right? He may not be able to take you, but he can make life horrible for you. And maybe even make life surrounds you horrible through you. I mean, listen, Satan, Satan and his law, uh, host of fallen angels, they continue to engage in guerrilla warfare, one-on-one -on -one warfare, to discourage, deceive, divide, and destroy God's people and God's plans. This is what he's trying to do. This is exactly what he's trying to do. And think about it. We see all around us discouragement, don't we? Where is that coming from? I'll tell you where. From the enemy. We, we, we see deception, division, unbelievable division, even in the church. Where is that coming from? Not from God. It's because we're allowing ourselves to lose the battles in the bigger war. That's where. Our foe is formidable, and we shouldn't take him lightly. But at the same time, fourth truth, we must respect him, but we shouldn't be afraid of him. We, we, we should respect this enemy, but we shouldn't live in fear. And I'll tell you why, because the minute you have placed your faith in Christ, as I said, you were made new. You were protected eternally, even though temporarily you may lose sometimes. In the end, God always wins. God always wins in the end, but it doesn't mean day to day there aren't going to be battles and struggles and challenges and temptations. So we should take the enemy seriously, but we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to live in fear. Remember, he lost to God, and he continues to lose to God. But it doesn't mean he's not going to try to trick you a little bit along the way, to deceive you a little bit along the way. And the last truth is just simply this, that we do not fight for victory. We get to fight from a place of victory. This is a big deal, because God has won. If we were fighting for victory, we should be terrified. If we were fighting on our own strength, we should be afraid, but we're not. We are fighting from the, the power of a mighty God. We're fighting with the same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead that is alive and well in you if you're a follower of Jesus, right? That exact same spirit is fighting against the enemy with you when we recognize that we're fighting, when we recognize 
the temptation for what it is. We recognize the division, the discouragement, the oppression for, for what it is. Now, I mentioned this earlier, next week, right? Next week, I'm gonna tell you exactly how to go to battle, exactly how we should fight. But here's what I want us to remember today. And maybe just as you go through the week, just to kind of think about this. There, there is an invisible war. Acknowledging it, acknowledging it prepares us to fight against it. There is an invisible war happening. If you acknowledge it, you can be you can become kind of prepared to fight it. But if you ignore it, if you're unalert to it, if you don't care about it, if you just think it's a Hollywood thing, it's Harry Potter, it's Hocus Pocus, you're the one who will be devoured because you're not ready. You're not prepared. To, to say it this way, you're the exact thing that, that, that Satan is looking for. The person who doesn't think it's real. The person who doesn't believe. If you can't see it, it must not be real. That's something rather sobering, if it's true. But as again, I said earlier, Jesus thought it was true. Maybe we should too. Can I pray for us? Father God, thank you so much for really protecting us. Thank you for giving us the ability to participate in this war on your side. And Father, even though th this is a, a real thing and that the enemy is formidable, God, thank you that we do not have to live in fear of that because we can live in the strength and the grace and the mercy and the love, Father, that, that comes only from you. So God, I just really do pray today that we will maybe walk out realizing that there's more to this world than we maybe thought. And maybe some of the things that we're struggling with and some of the challenges and the temptations and the difficulties, maybe they really are coming from a place, and maybe more specifically from a person, a group of persons, and maybe there's a way to begin to battle against that, to fight back in a way that actually can win those daily battles. So God, just thank you for that realization, and thank you, Jesus, for everything you have done for us. We love you, and we pray this in your name, amen. Hey, again, thanks so much for being here. Um, hey, don't miss next week because you may not know how to fight. All right, we'll see you then. Thanks.